Good morning, Arbor Church. We can do a little better than that. Good morning, Arbor Church. Yeah, I know some of you are, you know, in withdrawal mode that there's no Seahawks football on for the second week in a row. I get that. We won't mention who's playing next week because I don't think there's anything happening anyway. So my name is Scott. Um, I'm one of the speakers here. My real life job is I'm a school principal in Bellevue and been friends with Jake for a long time. And he's been gracious enough to ask me to speak on a regular basis here at Arbor. So if you're a first-time visitor, I'm really glad you're here today. Welcome. We hope you enjoy yourselves. Make sure you've introduced yourself to some people, and we introduce ourselves to you, and we're glad that you're here. If you're a regular attender, you pick to come on the Sunday I'm speaking. I apologize. Hopefully, it'll be a good day for you. We are in the middle of a series called I Choose. We're wrapping it up today. Today we're going to be looking at I choose important over urgent. And I think we can all relate to that. I'm a planner guy. I like to plan things out. Um, I've been that way since I was a kid. And when, when we go on family vacations, I love to plan these out. I'm the guy that still gets out the actual old school Rand McNally roadmap and looks at it and you know, marks things out. I love to find out where the historical markers and things are along the way so that I can stop and get out of the car and look at the plaque and read it and bore my kids to death. And they're like, Dad, we get it. It's a view of a river. Lewis and Clark came down it. They slept there. They moved on. But I love doing those things and planning trips out. And part of the planning is making sure everything's packed up and ready to go, that the car's got the emergency roadside kit. It's got all the air in the tires. It's been serviced. It's been maintenance. We're ready to rock and roll. Oil changed. It's got the... uh, tarp in it in case we get stuck in a rainstorm. I have all these preparations because crazy things have happened to me on road trips. And one of the things that I always make sure is that we've got the jack in there, the tires are ready to go because you never know what happens. Well, about 10 years ago, I had just purchased a used Toyota 4Runner. It wasn't too old. It was about three or four years old. And I'd only had it for about two months, but I bought it, and we were getting ready to go on a road trip through Montana and Wyoming to go to Glacier National Park, Yellowstone National Park, go back to a camp I used to work. It was going to be a great, epic two-week road trip with my kids. And so I got everything ready. I made sure the spare tire, it's one of those that's up underneath the car, was in there. I made sure the jack was in the car, it's in there. We got everything packed, the systemized. We had everything set up, and we took off. And we were so excited. And we're cruising along I-90 up over Snoqualmie Pass. And we get about 30 miles outside in Ellensburg when I'm in the left lane and there's a semi in front of me up in the right lane. And all of a sudden something flew off that semi. Bounced over the car in front of me and it's swerving out of the way. Now there's a car next to me and it's coming right at us and I can't swerve and it goes right underneath my car. We hear this loud bang and then we hear a boom and the front tire blew out. And we're like, and we get over to the side of the road safely. Everything was good. And we pull over and I'm like, oh, all right. We're going to get the jack out, pull that spare down, put it on there. My kids can learn from this. Everybody out of the car. We're going to watch what's happening. We get out. Um, I get in the car, pull some suitcases out, grab the jack stuff, put it on the ground. And it's one of these systems in Toyota 4Runners and other Toyotas where instead of just pulling the jack out of the back car, it's up under, and you've got to put this long rod into the bumper up into the car and crank. How many know what I'm talking about? And the tire lowers down, and you take it off, and it's not the easiest process. So I'm putting together the whole jack system and go to put it in there, and it's not long enough. And then I looked at it, and it's not the right head on the rod, and I realized 
the used car dealership had put the wrong jack into my forerunner. And I was so mad at myself. I'm like, I knew I should have practiced this before I left. I always practice changing the tires. I've made all my kids practice changing tires and I didn't do it. And now we're on the side of the road. I'm like, what are we going to do? I called insurance to get a tow truck there. It was going to be two and a half hours. I thought I'm 30 miles from Ellensburg. I could just limp along a little bit and get there. And all of a sudden I see this Toyota Tacoma coming up the road, way down the road. I'm like, that's a Toyota. That looks like a forerunner. That's a Tacoma. And I start yelling at my son, Zach, Zach, flag that car down. And I'm like stepping out into I-90 trying to flag. <laughs> my kids are pulling me back in and we flag them over and he pulls over and he gets out. He's got a Seahawks jersey on. I'm like, oh, we're in good company now. I'm like, I'm like hey, I'm Scott. What's your name? He goes, I'm Dan. I go, Dan, you are the man. Dan the man. Well, Dan the man had a Toyota Tacoma the same year as my forerunner and had the right jack system. And we got the tire fixed, we got it put on, drove into Ellensburg, only to find out that the tires I had on there were out of commission. They weren't making them anymore because they were on recall. So I had to buy four new tires. Three hours into my vacation with my kids. But the point of the story is this. I thought I had planned and done everything that was important and because I had, I ran into an urgent matter of the jack that I thought I had and was working didn't work. My point of that story is this. Oftentimes in life, we're going to be faced with urgent matters that we can't predict are going to happen. And the question is, how often are we living our life putting out fires and urgency rather than trying to do what is important to help prevent maybe some of those urgency things? We are so busy in our life. When we ask people the question, how are you doing? The number one response I usually get is, oh, I'm busy. Or some form of, oh, I'm good, it's just so busy. Oh, life is so busy. Kids are keeping me busy, work is busy. We are busy, 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 busy people. We are working so hard to not be busy so we can actually just sit around and do nothing, but we never get to do that. So we just choose to do nothing, which makes us more busy. It's a vicious circle. So I try not to say I'm busy, and I don't even like saying I'm busy because the truth of the matter is I'm only as busy as I choose. And if there's really something I really want to do, I actually end up finding the time to do it. So maybe it's not that I'm busy, I'm just a bad chooser. Maybe I got a bad picker. I'm picking the wrong things to do. I'm choosing the wrong things. So maybe today what we got to look at when we're looking at important over urgent is I'm asking you to become a better chooser at choose important over urgent. Are you choosing what's truly important over what is actually urgent? So let's pray. God, I pray as you look at this, it's just a great life lesson too of important over urgent. But God, I know there's a spiritual message here too, a biblical message from you about important over urgent. God, I pray that you'd move me out of the way. I pray that you would he be heard today. Would you give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, and feet that want to go put into action what we learned today. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I really don't want this to be like some self-help seminar that your work could send you to go do. Anything I'm sharing with you today is going to have both a secular good life approach to it, but I really want to make sure then we get to the spiritual focus of what I think we can learn from this today. You could go look up anywhere online the Eisenhower Matrix. 
This is the matrix that Eisenhower came up about decision-making where you've got a quadrant of urgent, not urgent, important, not important, and you put things in different boxes. So you could go look up on that and read all up on that. You could find the good old book, Tyranny of the Urgent, and read about how even now today we still operate in the tyranny of the urgent. So my goal today is not try to give you a self-help seminar. It's Because tr- if you were to go to a seminar like this, it'd be three days. I got like 30 minutes. So we're going to try to condense some really key principles. And I know that I won't get it all covered, but I hope that we can hit on some key ideas today. When we think about urgent, it carries with it a reactive tone. I want you to think urgent is reactive. Urgent means that a task requires immediate attention. These are the to-dos that shout out now. All right, an urgent task puts us in reactive mode. The kid just blew out his diaper in the back seat and we're all gonna vomit. That's urgent, all right? Um, one, these things are often marked by a response that become defensive or negative or rushed or hurried and it makes us maybe narrowly focused that we can't see anything else going around us because it's urgent. And those things are gonna happen in life. We can't eliminate them, but it's more of a reactive When you hear important, I want you to think proactive. These are means of planning for a task that need our attention. We are looking forward. These are the tasks that continue to contribute to our long-term mission, values, beliefs, and goals. Because we are proactively doing now for what could come later. So as we think of those two concepts, I can give you some examples. In the business world, Calming angry customers is urgent. Building systems to keep customers from getting angry is important. Getting your car engine repaired is urgent. Changing the oil so it doesn't need to be repaired is important. Or making sure the jack that you have in your car actually works on the car that was sold to you. Just saying. Getting help when you are sick is urgent. Taking care of your body and being healthy is important. If you do what's important, the idea is you won't have as many things that are urgent. In order to choose important over urgent, we must first ask ourselves, what is important to me? What is important in my life? So the first thing I want us to think about when we think of important over urgent is determine what is important in your life. Determine what is important in your life and be honest with yourself. Really ask, what is it that's important for you? It might be, I have got to get my finances in the right order. It might be, I have got to figure out where I'm moving because my lease is up in three weeks and I don't know what I'm doing. It might be, I want to make sure that I'm investing in my relationship like I should because we've been ignoring it. It might be it's time for me to get more serious about God and spending some time in prayer or talking. You gotta figure out what's important for you right now. And it might change from season to season, but usually what is most important to you remains a constant in your life as you grow and mature. Many of us have either not determined what is most important in our life or we have forgotten what is most important in our life due to the tyranny of the urgent and everything that demands our attention. So we're gonna look at two examples in scripture today, one involving two sisters that are hosting Jesus and his disciples, the other about the apostles facing an urgent issue in the early church. And hopefully from these two examples, we can gain some insight. 
Let's start with the apostles and their urgent matter. This can be found in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Let's pause. Hellenistic Jews were Jews that were exiled from out of the promised land in Jerusalem centuries ago, had learned the Greek language, and Greek language become their normal language, and they went back to Jerusalem. The Hebraic Jews had been left behind and had continued to speak their native language of Hebrew. And now in the New Testament church, you had two sects of these Jewish people inside the early church speaking different languages, and there was some tension between these groups. While they're trying to learn to love and grow together, there's still some historical context that was causing some divisions. And then this urgent matter came up that even drove a bigger wedge in there. So let's read this. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. In the early church, the church would care for orphans and widows because in that day and age and culture, they were neglected. And if the church or others didn't come along to provide needs, they didn't have needs met. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together, this is the 12 disciples, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait the tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, so many other names there, all right? And they presented these men to the apostles. What? I don't know what happened. <laughs> they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So in this passage, we find an urgent matter that presents itself to the early church and the 12 disciples, that some of the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. The apostles, however, if you read, says, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That may sound very selfish. It may sound like, well, who do they think they are? Up to this point, they had been doing the, the distribution of food and preaching and discipling and praying and doing everything. And what they're saying here is, we know, we have determined what's most important for us, because just within a few months ago, Jesus said, go preach the word, make disciples. We're called to do that. What we recognize is, this is an important thing here to distribute food to widows, but we're not doing it with the level of capacity that it should be given. We're going to do what we do best and what we're called to do and preach the word and pray. So it's not that the apostles thought that it wasn't important. The fact that they were doing it before this proved that it was. And the fact that they called a meeting of the church and told the people, you pick seven men that you find honorable and with integrity that can lead this ministry. And the people selected them. The disciples approved them. And they were given the task of making sure food was delivered equally, equitably, and fairly. Rather than sacrificing what they determined was important for them to take care of this urgent matter, they did something even more important and created a plan, a system to address this. It wasn't a case of either or. 
It doesn't mean that the disciples probably didn't show up at the distribution of food and serve and help. That just wasn't their full responsibility and important. It doesn't mean that those that were distributing the food didn't still preach the word and pray and do church things and ministry things either. That just became their importance. Stephen, in fact, who was chosen and first listed, he was martyred for preaching the word. Philip, who was also on the list, he got teleported by God one day into the middle of the desert to witness and baptize an Ethiopian eunuch. That must have been a weird feeling. He's out delivering and delivering food one day, and poof, then he's in the desert with some ham sandwiches. All right? It's like, what am I doing here? The idea is this. I understand that we have competing interests in our importance, and that there's seasons where one things are bigger than the others. The goal is to find out how to not have so much urgency. Stephen Covey wrote a book, um, Highly Effective, I'm sorry, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he outlines key habits and aspects of living effectively, and in essence, distinguishing between important and urgent. And in this book in particular, habit number three states what our next point is. Do the most important things first. So the next thing I want to say is after you've determined what is important, do the important things first. Do the important things first. In his book, he goes on to explain that if we spend our time doing the important but not urgent task, then important tasks like preparation, planning, maintenance, or sharpening the axe will diminish the level of urgency in urgent tasks. By setting aside time for important but not urgent, we reduce the time we have to spend on managing the urgency and chaos when it comes up. When your kid blows a diaper out in the back seat, there's nothing worse than pulling over to change a diaper and not having any diapers. Oh, I've been there. You get really creative. Shopping bags, paper bags, Ziplocs, things become really creative. But if you're always prepared with extra diapers and wipes along the way, a blown out diaper, while it's quite smelly and everybody wants to get out of the car, it can be cleaned up and changed. Now, I'm being silly with that, but the idea is this. Even in the, even in the illustration we just read in Acts, it became the team's important thing to do first, distribute food. Once you've done what is first and you've taken care of that, and even in the ministry of distributing food, you're going to be preaching the word. You're going to be helping the church. You're going to be serving others. In the disciples of preaching the word and praying with others and building the church, we're going to attract more people that need help for food and other things. They go together. I'll use an example. I always use examples from school. It's where I live and exist as a principal. We, we have these toilets that are, that are like automatic flushers in our building. All right? There's no f- handles or anything. So kids come in and sit down, do their business, stand up, lean, and it flushes. But these toilets are loud. They're, they're like these large commercial industrial toilets. And when they, when they, when they flush, it, it's like a fire alarm system. And a lot of our kids, just tiny little kindergarten and first graders, are afraid of these toilets. In fact, we've gone around and put some sticky notes over the sensor so that the kids can get off the toilet, step away, reach over, lift the paper, and then run! Because it's loud, and the bathroom is echoey, and it's all just, you know, cement stuff, and it's loud. And heck, I've got some kids that have never even used a flushing toilet before because they've come to this country and seen them for the first time, and it's scary. And I have one little kindergartner in particular that really does not like these toilets. 
and really has one way that he goes to use the bathroom. He goes in the stall, shuts the door, and disrobes everything. I'm not asking why. I'm not even trying to solve that problem all the way. But he does his business. Then he would get off the toilet, flushes it, stands up, and then he's like, socks on, shoes on. Then he's trying to put everything else on, but it's stuck like down here. And so he waddles out to the hallway and just stands there. Help! Help! And kids are walking by, all right? Then he's trying to be silly about it. And I'm getting called on the radio. And I'm like, I've got two master's degrees. I'm getting called to help a naked kid in the hallway. So we have to work with our kindergartner to tell him the importance of how to do some things. Underwear first, then pants, then socks, then shoes. Underwear, pants, socks, shoes. This is what I do with my day. (laughs) Underwear, pants, socks, shoes. We got it? All right, let's try again tomorrow. Same thing happens. Stuck the pants down there, trying to waddle around. Why do I share this silly story for you? I tell you this because I think most times in life, we do the same thing. We're in such a hurry, we're trying to get things done, we're trying to move around, and all of a sudden we're trying to get an important task done, and we've done other things before, and we're stuck around our feet. And we're waddling around trying to figure out how to deal with this urgent matter, but we haven't done the important things first. And you're just like that kid in kindergarten with your pants around your ankles, trying to waddle your way out of an urgent matter. Because if you'd just done underwear, pants, socks, and shoes, it might not be such a tragic event you're stuck in or so urgent. These competing important things are difficult to manage. I get it. You might be saying or asking, like when it comes to church, well, what about social justice and caring for the poor? Doesn't the Bible speak of doing these things? Yes, we've got to do those as well. How about working out and taking care of my health? That's important, but I got kids I got to get up in the morning and get ready for school, and by the time that's done, I'm ex- I get there's competing interest. Well, what about my just me time? I just want some time for myself, so I just want to go home and relax and not have to go do any things. I just want to binge my favorite show, yet I know I should be serving or doing some things. I get it, competing interest. I've raised three kids, sometimes alone. It's tough. So when you've got these competing interests and you've determined what is important and you're trying your best to make it first and do it first, how how do I know when I've got all these competing interests in in your family, in your life, in your work, in your relationships? When we come to the next concept I want you to think about and that is this. What am I doing that will have long-term impact? What am I doing that will have long-term impact? So you need to decide Out of all your importance, decide what will have long-term, need I say maybe even eternal, impact. The Aho idea of doing the important things first is to prepare ahead of time for what could be coming. I've been thinking through this concept myself. I don't just preach a sermon, I try to live it. I've been talking through some guys in my life and friends in my life about these things. And for me, I tried to narrow down four or five things that I feel if I make the most important will have the longest impact in my life. So I narrowed them down to this. My spiritual life, my family life, my personal life, which involves relationships and activities, and my work life. My spiritual life, 
I try to make that the most important and try to be time in the Word or time with God or listening or something in the Word or on the phone, trying to do something to continue to grow and make my spiritual life a priority. Family life, even though I've got two kids out of the house, one in the home getting ready to graduate this year, you're still always a parent. You just go from the chaos of diapers and vomit and fooding and bedtime and waking up and soccer games and soccer here and gymnastics there. You go from all that chaos to bigger chaos that has bigger impacts because they're bigger decisions. You're never done parenting your kids. It just looks different. But making family a priority, me, and showing them and living an example and investing in them is going to have a long-term impact. I hope. That's what I believe. So I make that a priority. My personal life, relationships, activity, working out, I try to make sure I have time to do things that refuel me, that make sure that I'm being a good person. I've got information coming in and reflection coming back towards me and feedback, so I'm just not my own superhero thinking I'm great when I look in the mirror. I mean, I'm a pretty handsome guy, but you know. I don't know why you laughed at that. That was not necessary. That was not supposed to be funny. My work life. I try to really make sure I'm doing my job well. I love my job. My job is impacting students' lives for a long time. I love what it does. I want to make sure I'm doing it well. So it becomes a priority. But if you look at all these things, they compete, and I have to prioritize them and figure out which one has the longest inter- long, long-term impact that's most important to me. I must prioritize them in my life to say that something is a priority and to recognize that some things are more important than other things. In a world where urgent things, those day-to-day struggles of life that require immediate attention come at us so constantly, we need to stop and remember the truly important things. I forgot to learn to say yes to less and no more. I've got to learn to say yes to less and no to more. I've got to learn to put up some boundaries on what I can do and what I want to do and what I should do. Because if I'm not doing what is important for long-term impact, then I'm just living on an earth that I know is temporary, and I'm not a temporary-minded man, and you as a believer and a Christian should not be a temporary-minded person. We have to do the temporary because we live in the temporary, and we're called to operate and be holy in the temporary, but we need to have an internal perspective. And oftentimes we get stuck looking four feet in front of us instead of four miles down the road that what you're doing now will have impact down there and you'll walk through the urgency that's guaranteed to happen in your life with more vigor, purpose, understanding, and vision. For example, I know for many years, many of us can be so busy dealing with the urgent and providing and caring for our family that we actually neglect the important task of spending time with our family. The reality of life means that we must make distinctions and put priorities in place so that the important doesn't get drowned out and neglected by the urgent. As Andy Stanley would say, you better learn to choose to cheat something in your life. Are you gonna cheat what isn't so important to get more important? But you're gonna have to cheat something in your life to invest in what is important. As I hinted at earlier, there are seasons when the priority and what is important can shift. After I had back surgery a year ago, I had to go to physical therapy. I had to do specific exercises for a point in time. I wanted to get back to my old workout routine. I wanted to get back to being that, you know, hiker up on the mountain doing the things I wanted to do. I wanted to get back in the raft and start guiding again, but I had to make important 
the recovery process and relearning what it meant at my age of <clears throat> taking care of my back and my, what I've learned are the core muscles. I had to make that an important priority for a season to get back to doing what I could do. I'm asking you right now in your life, what is pressing on you in this season that is important now that maybe wasn't before, and if you don't give it attention now, it's gonna be urgent very soon. And I promise you this, if you start making it important, it's amazing to me that when I do the first things first and make things important in my life, how much more room it seems to be for other things. I don't understand it. It's a business model, it's a HR model, it's a family model, it's a personal model, it's a spiritual model. If you take the important and invest that inside of your life, other things will open up that you have opportunity to do. As I said, as believers, we shouldn't have a temporary perspective, we should have an internal perspective. So you've got to decide in your life what is the one thing that is most important to you. It reminds me of the movie City Slickers that came back in the, came out in the 90s. Um, it was about four, I think it was four men that were going through some life crises. And so they decided to go to a dude ranch and herd cattle for like three, two or three weeks. Be cowboys. Learn what it meant to be rugged. What are we really called here to do? And along the way, they encountered the cowboy that ran the herd. I think it was played by Jack Palance. Great little movie, and in that movie, we got a scene here I want to share with you that I think opens up the window for us to think about the end of our message today. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? (laughs) One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. So one thing, and no, it's not just the finger, one thing. We're going to look at a passage in the scripture. As we read through this, I want you to think about what jumps out as the one thing in this passage that we're going to talk about. It's a story of two sisters opening up their home to Jesus and the disciples. We find it in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples are on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken from her. What is the one thing? Martha was not wrong. The urgent really had hold of her in the moment. Think about it. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, is coming into my home. How many more of us would have been just as urgent of getting the nice dishes out, getting the right food out, cleaning and vacuuming, shoving everything into the couch, under the couches or into the closets, making it look nice and clean and being the perfect host or hostess? Don't say you wouldn't be. 
Because you do the exact same thing Martha did in that moment with Jesus in every other part of your life. You run around tackling the fires and the urgency to keep everything nice and neat and manageable and controllable, and you're ignoring the important. And more importantly, you're ignoring the one thing. Jesus said, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part. See, it says up here that Martha was distracted by all the preparations, that she didn't even stop to think, Jesus is here to talk to me. Imagine if Jesus literally sat on a couch in your living room every morning where you live. Over time, how consistently would you be sitting on a talk or would it become, love you, Jesus, but I got to run. I got a lot of things to do. Jesus, I, it's good to see you. It was a crazy day. I'm going to run to the gym real quick. Jesus, nothing wrong with the busyness of life and what we have to do. But what's the one thing? Are you worried and troubled about many things? Have you ever wondered why there's too much to do and not enough time? Why no one is helping? Why you're stressed out, overburdened? Jesus gives us a clue when he says there's only one thing needed and Mary chose that one thing. What's the one thing? Time with Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. The one thing is Jesus. It's not does not mean that what Martha was doing was wrong or not important or even needed. It was significant. It was needed. But it was not as important as what Mary chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. Often we are faced with choosing good over good. And the only way to discern what is most important in the moment is to remember what's the one thing that matters most. I know many of you are thinking, well, someone's got to fix dinner tonight. Someone has to work and do the urgent things in life. Somebody's got to pay the bills. Somebody's got to get the kids to soccer. Somebody's got to go do this or go do that. If you're not making the one thing the one priority in your life, you're just living in urgency and temporariness. What might happen if we took Jesus' advice and made this one thing, time with him, relationship with him, a priority. Remember, life does not depend on you doing everything. It depends on you placing everything you do under God. Hearing his voice, following his leading, delighting yourself in him. I'm not saying you got to get it all figured out. I'm not saying you have to spend this much time in the word and you need to spend this much I'm not giving you a editorial on how to run your life. Start small. Find a way to spend time with God daily, five minutes a day. I guarantee you there's an app for that. I know there is on your phones. There's daily devotionals. There's scripture. There's the U Bible. There's all sorts of things. Start small. Because I'm telling you right now, if you can't figure out that that's the one thing, you're really not going to be able to make the important, the important things in your life. Jake shared this verse last week in his sermon. I'm gonna use it again for this week. He used it for surrender over control, and I think there's some parallels here. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. 
In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Some translations say, and he will direct your path. He says elsewhere in Proverbs, man makes all these great plans, but God controls what they do. The idea of this about the one thing that's important is this. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you have not made that the most important thing in your life, then you're missing out on the most important long-term impact he can have in your life. Because we are temporary residents of the urgency of this earth. We are eternal residents of the importance of heaven and relationship with God. Without the word of God being the most important priority in your life, without time with God in prayer and fellowship, you're subject to the demands of the urgent, and you're living life in your own strength. When the tyranny of the urgent denies us time to draw near to our life source, our Savior, our Jesus Christ, life can lose its meaning and focus. I encourage you to prioritize the only one thing that is needed, and that is God. It does not mean that he will come in and make it all easy. It does not mean there won't be urgency. It does not mean that you won't have things happen. But it means if you make him the one thing, the first thing, the only thing, it opens up avenues that you weren't aware of. It provides an energy, a faith, a view, a positive outlook. Whatever you want to call it, in Christ, all things are possible. Otherwise, We're trying to put shoes on, then socks, then pants, then underwear. And we just get stuck looking stupid. We are called to acknowledge him and make him important. Choose important over urgent. Choose Jesus because it is not only important, it is urgent. And this one, this one they call Jesus is the one thing that matters most. If you're here today and you're not a believer, I urge you today to talk to somebody. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you don't even understand that full concept, talk to one of us today. It's the most important thing you could do today. It will change your life on earth and for eternity. If you're here today and Jesus hasn't remained the important thing in your life, It's not too late. He's sitting in your living room waiting to talk. Quit running around the house doing everything else and just sit down. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. He forgives, he restores, he renews. He wants to be the one thing in your life so that you can do all the other things he wants you to enjoy and do well. Let us make sure today that we truly are choosing the important over the urgent. Let's pray.